Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America Prospect Handbook Podcast. J.J. Cooper joined today by Ben Badler. We're going to talk prospects. Hey, what, what you expect on the Prospect Handbook Podcast. We're going to talk who's the number one prospect left in the minor leagues, but also a guy who's no longer a prospect, but we're kind of interested in uh, Blue Jays second baseman Devin Travis, who's off to uh, a pretty sensational start. Ben Badler has been kind of leading the uh, Devin Travis fan club for a long time, but I don't even think Ben saw this. So we're going to talk about Devin a little bit as well. But we do want to start today with uh, the, the question that is an obvious question. Chris Bryant's up to the big leagues. He was our number one prospect coming into the season. Addison Russell, who was our number three prospect coming into the season on the BA Top 100 Prospects list, is also up in the big leagues for the Cubs. And that leads to the question, so who's the number one prospect left in the minor leagues. The obvious candidates you have at the top of the list, number two uh, prospect coming into the season, Byron Buxton, number four prospect coming into the season, Carlos Correa, and number five prospect coming into the season, Corey Seager, all of whom are, are having very solid starts to their uh, 2015 seasons, especially Correa and Seager. Seager's already earned a promotion to AAA Oklahoma City. Didn't take them but less than a month to earn the promotion to AAA. Correa is among minor league leaders in many, many, many categories. He leads the Texas League in almost everything right now. And Byron Buxton was off to a slow start, a little rust as he comes back from the concussion he suffered at the end of last year. But he's kind of shaken that rust off. In the last five days, he has four triples and a homer. He's gotten his numbers up to kind of where you would expect, around 280, 300, 500-plus slugging percentage. So not bad for a 21-year-old center fielder in AA uh, Southern League as well. So, Ben, before we come back to me and kind of what I found from surveying pro scouting uh, people and all, I'll ask you, who to you is the number one prospect in the minors right now? Yeah, I mean, these guys are both, like you said, off to tremendous starts, and, and Seager is too, obviously. But, uh, you know, we're talking about two two potential cornerstone franchise-type players who, you know, I think it. I could see both of them winning MVP awards one day, but to me, the the separation here is is Byron Buxton's defense because I see them both as as premium hitters, guys who could hit. You know, whether you're going to put them at the top of the lineup or or in the middle of the lineup, uh, these guys are going to be two of the best hitters in baseball. They can hit. They they control the strike zone. They they have really good play coverage, uh, and they both have. Uh, you know, you know. I think they're both going to have plus or or better power, in, and that's going to play in games. Or they're both going to get on base at a high clip. I think that just again, the, to me, the difference is Byron Buxton's defense puts him ahead because you're talking about a guy who has the potential, you know, top of the line speed and and outstanding instincts in the outfield, throws well too. All the ingredients are there for him to be a, a Gold Glove caliber defender in center field. Carlos Correa, you know, I think there were some questions about whether he's going to stay at shortstop, maybe get too big, move over to third base. For me, he he's a shortstop. I don't see any reason why he can't play shortstop, but I don't see him as an above-average defensive shortstop. I see him as somebody who can who can play the position and, and be solid defensively at shortstop, but not somebody who's going to be above-average or, or really elite defensively at the position the way that Byron Buxton, uh, it's not even really has the potential to be. It's, it's almost like he already is right now with the with the speed and, and the instincts that he has. Obviously, he still has some 
you know, he's not ready right now offensively, but the defense is ready right now, and it's it's premium top of the scale defense. I've always kind of been I've been a a, a Buxton guy for a long time. I, I still kind of think back to my probably one of my favorite minor league trips I've ever done was seeing. Buxton for four days against Kane County and Carlos Correa's Quad Cities team back uh, two years ago. And I can't believe I'm saying this, saying that, but I right now I was kind of surprised. I, I sent out to uh, a number of uh, upper-level front office people around baseball, none of them with the Dodgers, Astros, or Twins because, hey, they've got a, a dog in this fight. Just kind of asked the question, hey, who would you say is the best prospect left in the minors now? And – I was a little surprised how, uh, again, take it for what it was. It was seven. I got seven responses that that actually gave a, a vote. But uh, of those seven, five of the seven chose Carlos Correa. And what jumped out is is that I, I think I, I follow all the logic of what you're saying, and I think the case for why people may say Correa. I think uh, I wrote this in in SBA. It's up at BaseballAmerica.com right now. There may be a little bit of recency bias in that. Carlos Correa is off to a great start. But I think more than that, it really comes down to, okay, where do you value, uh, let's say that Correa is a solid average shortstop versus an exceptional center fielder. That's an interesting debate uh, of which is, you know, which provides more value there. And I think really the other question becomes, do you think that Correa may end up having at this point, I probably would say I think there's a pretty good chance that Cray ends up with more power than Buxton. And I think Buxton could end up with, as you said, we're talking about, this is like saying, you know, the the old uh, the old sabermetrics versus scouts argument, beer tacos. Yes, you know, it, it, everyone kind of said with this, you you know, if you'll give our team Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, or Byron Buxton, we'd be happy. But it really comes down to Buxton is a more explosive player. Buxton is a top-of-the-scale speed guy with that gold-glove caliber center field defense, should hit for average, and hits for some power. And there's still some question about how much power is going to be in there. Is it going to be 10 home run power? Is it going to be 15 home run power? Is it going to be 20 home run power? Correa is a guy who... The speed... He's 11 for 11 right now on steals, which I think you tweeted out last night, which is a stunning stat. And but that doesn't mean he's a burner in any way, shape, or form. He's he's kept every bit of his speed that he's had that he had when he was drafted. And some, you know, I've talked to say he's a little faster now. And he's done that while he's also, if you look at him now compared to what he was when he was drafted, uh, upper body, he, he's got a lot more strength there. His chest is that of a uh, of a of a grown man now, whereas when he was drafted, he was a very uh, tall framed but a little bit slender. A uh, guy who, who's really kind of worked to uh, to get stronger and stronger, but he's kept the speed, which is important because it's not like he has plus speed, but he's kept enough speed. Whereas you said, there's a lot less debate now whether he's going to stick at shortstop, and so it really seems like a lot of it comes down to if you give a uh, a number of teams an option of you know can I have a, a shortstop who's a middle of the order hitter who could hit for average and power versus a Gold Glove type center fielder who can hit for as much, if not a little bit more average and maybe a little less power, that maybe they take the shortstop out of that. And the funny guy who, you know, the funny thing here is this, this is not a slight to Corey Seager, who I know that you're a giant Corey Seager fan, so am I. Both of us think that he's going to be a really, really good uh, big leaguer before long. Why do you think Seager, I guess, kind of may end up a third in this discussion, Ben? 
Yeah, I, I just think Correa has more first step quickness. I mean, they're both. I mean, they're both gigantic human beings. They're, uh, you know, big, big-bodied shortstops. I just don't see, you know, Correa. They're both smart players. I mean, like we we're talking about, Correa's stolen bases are really more. He runs well. He's just not a. He's not a plus runner. That's more of a testament to his high baseball IQ and in all phases of the game. Down the line, he's four three to four three five generally. I mean, that's yeah. Which that's, a right-handed hitter, that's average. That's not better than that. Yeah, but it's look if if it you know there's guys who are faster in the sixty. There, there are guys who are eighty runners who can't steal bases, and it's you know what's what's more valuable. I'll take the guy who can. Uh, you know who who knows yeah, how to absolutely. apply the speed to the game. Now it you know it makes a difference if you're you know a center fielder and, and you have to run around and, and track down balls. But uh, you know it, obviously it helps your range. It, it's better to be an 80 runner than a 50 runner. But you know if you can if you know how to pick your spots, you know how to read pitchers. You know there's there's a lot of guys who rack up a lot of stolen bases who are you know who are just average runners in the big leagues. You know for me the difference is I, I just see Seager as more of a third baseman, which you know which is fine. He's gonna hit way, way, way above what the average third baseman is going to hit. And he's, he's got all the tools to be an above average defender at third baseman. Yeah. To me, he's, he's a number of three prospects who's still in the minor leagues, which is, is not a slight to him. I just don't, I just see a little bit more, uh, you know, premium value in, in the, in the positional value that Correa and that, and that Buxton bring to the table. I do think with Seager, if he, I wouldn't be stunned if he came up as a shortstop. I don't think he's going to stay there long term. And that kind of look at that from the standpoint of <laughs> uh, the best way I can put it is if Wilmer Flores is playing shortstop in the big leagues on a regular basis, Corey Seager can play shortstop in the big leagues on a regular basis. What Seager lacks is that kind of that range. He's not a rangy guy, but he can play deep because he has a really good arm. And the, it, if you ask me what Seager's best defensive attribute is, he has a very – it's an outstanding ability to get rid of the ball very quickly. Uh, watching a game uh, this year, you know, recently when he was still in the Texas League, and there was a ball where he had to come in on it, and it wasn't – he didn't show great range to get there. But the thing that really did stand out is his, when that ball hit his glove, his transfer and then the ball was out of his hand in a blur. You know, we talk a lot about infield actions. That's kind of, that's one aspect of infield actions. His release is really quick, which allows him to to get to more balls than you would expect because he has to work a little harder to get there. And again, there's some balls he's just not going to get to. Like you, I think he's a third baseman. He's going to be a very good third baseman down the road. The one advantage I will say for him, and I'm, again, I would put him number three right now as well, but... The one advantage he has is you, you got to love the lefty bat. And that's I, I do think there is some advantage for that as far as hitting for average in the big leagues just because of platoon advantages and all. But, again, with all these guys, you are talking about truly, really exceptional prospects. You know, three of the best prospects in the game, three of the best prospects have been around in a while. Um, there wasn't really a pitcher who worked into that discussion, kind of asked people about it. And, really, the only guys who were coming up kind of in that discussion were – Lucas Giolito and Julio Urias. And I would say that both of those guys are probably behind the the hitters because we're talking about hitters who are 20, 21 years old in double and triple A. Uh, there's a lot to be said for that. There's a lot more certainty with that in many ways. But before we move on, I did just want to ask you about Julio Urias. He's a fascinating guy to me because there just really aren't analogs to him. You're talking about an 18-year-old who's really – in many ways, too advanced for the Texas League. 
Can you think of anything you ever seen like that? Or, you know, what what jumps out to you when you think and what you see Julio Urias? Yeah, like you said, just unprecedented. There's no you, you try to look for okay, like we can say Carlos Correa, when is he going to be up? Well, you know, you can look at other guys who've who've been in his situation before. I mean, Manny Machado was really in a, a similar situation with the Orioles a, a few years back and and the Orioles brought him up and uh, you know, he, he helped them down the stretch uh, when they brought him up that year, and I think it was in August. So, you know, I could see something if if the Astros are are contending and and still contending, which hey, that's unbelievable they're, surprise they're going to me. To be. But if, at this point, they've built up enough of a lead that it's hard for them to imagine them not at least contending. For yeah, those wins are so those wins are in the bank. Whereas you know the Twins, you know, I don't see them. I don't see them being competitive at all the rest of the year, and I don't see any reason to start. Fire and Bucks to service clock. Whereas, yeah, like you said, you were, you know, you don't want to start with, with Urias. You don't want to, st- there's so many things that you, you know, you want to manage his innings. He's still 18 years old. You want to be cautious with him. And, and you look at Andrew Friedman and, and how the Rays handled their pitching prospects in Tampa Bay. I'm not sure there was a more conservative organization when it came to developing pitchers and, and how they move them along uh, but and, and they had a lot of success doing at, it at the rate the Rays develop pitchers the way they move them along Julio Urias should be back in uh, short season ball next year yeah but it's when you have somebody who is just so dominant I mean advanced it's, too yeah it's 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 front of the rotation number one starter type of stuff and the pitch ability that he has I mean He's born in 1996. The guys we're talking about who were going to be drafted this year out of high school were born in 1996. It's it's really he would be the number one pick in the draft if he was available in this year's draft. I'll, I'll put it that way. Yeah, I mean it's so. I think he has the talent to be up this year at some point if the Dodgers want to bring him up. Would I bring him up right now? No, no. but. Uh, you know, there's no need to bring him up right now. But if they wanted to bring him up in in the second half of the season, down the stretch, yeah, I mean, it sounds pretty wild for a guy who's never thrown more than 90 innings in a season and and who's still 18 years old. You want to be careful with him, but at some point he's sort of forced, he might force his way onto there. He might be... By the end of the year, he might be one of their their five best starting pitchers in the organization. No, I, I think that that's not crazy at all. I, I think that right now, I, again, I follow it for developmental reasons. But if they needed a spot start, if you're asking me, do I think that he would be capable of doing it? I think he would be. I, I, again, it's not like the only guy I can think of. One's right handed, one's left handed. They're very different, but who at that age is? Is you go back to Felix Hernandez. But Felix was really a year older than Urias, kind of at the same stage of development as far as level he was at and all. And the difference was is that Hernandez was doing it at the time the way you would expect uh, a teenager to do it, which was he had a he had really kind of blow you away stuff. Urias has blow you away stuff at his best, but he is really comfortable just cruising. Where you're looking for a fastball, he's giving you a changeup. You're looking for the changeup, he's dropping a breaking ball on you. He's just, he's pitching at, you know, and he's doing that with a fastball that will touch 95 on a pretty regular basis. Um, 
it's it's pretty fun to watch. You, on Correa, I'll, I'll, I've said it. I, I would be surprised if Carlos Correa is not up at some point this year, barring injury with the Astros, because Jed Lowry's not going to be healthy until after the All-Star break, it looks like. And it's fine to, you know, to basically turn to Marwin Gonzalez right now and Jonathan VR, but the reality of it is is that Carlos Correa is better than those guys right now. Does that mean he's ready? That may not be entirely true, but he's better than those guys. I, I remember a scout last year when he was coming out of low A in spring training, looking at him and going, the rough thing about it is, is you look at him out there and, and he's about the best player on the team right now. And that was a year plus ago. A, yes, he doesn't have much double A time, but as you mentioned, he's got more play, minor league plate appearances right now than Manny Machado did when Machado went up. And Machado was doing that, and he was getting called up to play third base, a position he had essentially learned about a day before that. Carlos Correa would be called up to play shortstop. Carlos Correa has played shortstop for an awful long time. I expect that at some point this year, possibly before the Futures game, we will get to see Carlos Correa in the big leagues. I don't think, again, I don't have any inside info. That's not, you know, someone passing along to me, but that's just talking to scouts who ask some question, you'd think he could do it. And there's a lot of answers of, yeah, I think he probably could. And... He's that kind of special kind of player. Yeah, no, I could definitely see him up in the in the second half. On the other hand, you know, look, we've seen guys like, you know, Xander Bogarts, who I think was, you know, just as, as talented as Correa was when he was in the minor leagues. And we've seen the, you know, we've seen him struggle a lot in, you know, a year plus. Mike, in the, Mike Trout got, if Mike Trout, a similar call up to what we'd be talking about with Correa, it wasn't very good. That, but... You turn around the next year and he's Mike Trout. I, you know, it's it, another example. You know, Trout's one that jumps out. Look at, and it's a little younger than this, but look at what A-Rod did when he came up with the Mariners. Now, that was the strike year, which kind of, he didn't even get a chance to really get any momentum going. But he wasn't A-Rod in his first call-up, but you turn around and he was A-Rod the next year. So, I, again, you're right. There's some risk to it. But if, if Jed Lauer was healthy, we wouldn't be talking about this. If it's between Marlon Gonzalez and Carlos Correa, that becomes a much more interesting debate. Right. I don't think either of us are saying, if I, if I understand, I'm not saying call him up now. No, I don't think the Astros or, you know, or the Dodgers with, with, with Urias or, or Seager, uh, I don't think any of those guys should be up right now. But I think it's, it's a very realistic possibility for talking about come you know, after the All-Star break or, or maybe even around that time, uh, you know, we could see any of these guys up in up in the majors again if you get to june 1st with carlos correa or june 15th and the astros are still right there at the top of a uh, what's quite frankly a down nl i mean al west very winnable division very winnable division and you look at it and gonzalez and villar neither of them's really you're really that comfortable with them at shortstop and he then has let's close to 200 at double a at bats under his belt and he's hitting 350, 360 like he is right now. I again, you you have to seriously consider that. It'll it'll be fun to watch. But that's going to be fun to watch. One thing that's already been fun to watch is uh, watching Devin Travis with the Blue Jays so far. They they went with the youth movement. A lot of the youth movements back in AAA right now. Devin Travis is not going back uh, to the minors anytime soon. Ben, you have always been. A, uh, a very big proponent of Devin Travis. He was in our top 100 two years ago with the injuries he had last season. He did drop out of the top 100, but 
again, I know you didn't see this. I don't think anyone saw this. I don't think Devin Travis saw this. But what is it about Devin Travis that really kind of jumped out to you over the years? He just he always could hit. It's it had a he had a really simple, easy swing. He doesn't have a big strike zone. I think people look at him. Oh well, he's only five foot nine, and and that you know people say oh that's you know that's he gets not for that. Players who are, are short, I think, tend to be uh, undervalued. It's legitimate to you know, to worry about a, a player's size, especially if you're talking about a kid who's 18 years old in, in rookie ball. But, you know, when you're, when you're raking in, in double A, it's, it's, it's less important. And, and it's, it's almost an advantage in some ways, just because he has a, a smaller strike zone. He doesn't expand it much. He's, he's got sh- those short hitter arms. It's, it's, you, you know, we've seen him turn around 97, 98 mile an hour fastballs uh, on the inside corner and launch them over the fence. I mean, what he's doing now is it's not a fluke. I mean, no, he's not going to have a, I think it's like a 980 OPS right now. That's he's not going to have a uh, Miguel Cabrera triple crown type year uh, OPS when the season's over. No, that's, that's, okay. that's obviously going to, you know, regress and, and come back down to earth. But the, the way he's doing it, it's not like he's just getting these, you know, bloop hits here and there and, and, and he's just getting you know, lucky on, on a lot of his balls in play. This guy has, you know, all the attributes to, to be able to hit. And, you know, as, as we've written before, you know, this guy is, you know, he's not big, but he, he puts a, a charge into the ball for, uh, for a little guy. He's, he's got a lot of strength in that really compact frame. One thing I, you know, you hopefully learn things as we do this. And, and one thing I've learned, and I think a lot of scouts have learned, um, is, I am much, much, much less inclined to discount the short, especially the short second baseman, than I used to be. Um, I remember talking to people about Jose Altuve and talking to scouts who I very much respect, who kind of discounted Altuve and they just thought he was not, he was too small to ever be physical enough to really be anything more than a role player at the big league level. And that sure looks inaccurate now. Um, yeah, again, you don't want to throw Dustin Pedroia as the patron saint of this, and and Dustin Pedroia was a guy who there were a lot of people thought he's too small to be, you know, to to really be an impact type guy, especially if a guy who takes that big a swing. You know, that's just not going to work at the big league level. And Dustin Pedroia had, you know, has that very rare hand eye that made it work. I, I, I've been burned on that before. I'm not going to be burned again. And that was really kind of a Travis, something where it's. If the knocks on him is, is that he's – if there's something else, okay, let's hear it. But if it's that he's too small, uh, as you said, he's always – he's has had an ability to, to, to drive the baseball. So you kind of got to throw that concern out a little bit. So yeah, I, I think there's – you know, there's a few things that maybe worked against Travis. One, like we talked about, he's, he's just not very big. Uh, you know, it's easy to write a player off who just doesn't look like, you know – I don't even want to say he doesn't look like a major leaguer because look at the major leagues. Look at the guy who won the batting title last year in the American League. Yeah, it's, you know, the the idea of a major league body is is just sort of silly to me. Look look at the major league body of the guy who just won the batting title. Look, look Look around, it's the bodies in the major league. It's not... All guys who are six foot three with with chiseled frames—it's just not reality. There's this idea that everybody has to be like that, but it's just not reflective of reality. 
But look, Travis is not toolsy. There's nothing, you know, on the chart other than, you know, his bat, which is, I think, the most important tool that you would put a, you know, a 60 or, or a 70 on. It's a lot of average tools. And then he plays second base. And I think that there's just way too high of a mental penalty that gets applied to uh, either to prospects who are second baseman in the minors or or shortstop prospects who project to move to second base. It's not, you know, I think people say, oh, well, he's this guy is not a, a shortstop or this guy's going to have to move off of shortstop uh, and he's going to have to go to second base as if like second base is, you know, <laughs> first base or, or DH. It's not it's not an easy position to play. Now, there's obviously risk if you can't play second base. You know, where do you go? Maybe you probably don't have a you know a big arm or, or a ton of speed, so maybe you go to left field. I was there's say, risk. Second baseman who can't play second base end up in left field. Right. So there's there's risk there, but Travis could always play second base. I mean the Tigers experimented with him a little bit in center field, but that was more because we have Ian Kinsler there. <laughs> and Ian Kinsler is not gonna go anywhere. So let's try to get this guy's bat into the lineup somehow. So I you know, I think that works against him. The other things were, look, this guy was a 13th round draft pick. And wherever you get drafted, that tag seems to stick with you throughout your career in the minor leagues. And, you know, at the time you're drafted, I, I suppose it's it's indicative in some ways of how he was viewed within the industry at the time. But there's, <laughs> I just don't care where a player was drafted. I mean, within a, a couple of months, we can find out that, wow, you know, this guy was, or any player, uh, their stock can change pretty significantly after they've been in pro ball, whether it's been a, a couple of months or, or certainly for for a year or, or for two years. But then that tag seems to get stuck to a player uh, for his, his whole career. And it, it can help guys who are first-round picks and always have that uh, tag attached to them. But it can it can work against guys who were, who were late-round draft picks but who've really – either improve their stock or, or have just shown that, look, we're, this, this guy is, is much better than, than people originally thought. And then the, the last thing that I think works against Devin Travis and, and other comparable players to Travis, guys who there's nothing flashy, the tools are average, but the bat is a, a potential plus bat. If you're a pro scout, you go in and, and you see a guy for – a three-game series, he's probably not going to do anything that makes you go, oh, wow, you know, this guy really caught my attention. You know, I saw Roman Quinn with the Phillies, who is an 80-runner, unbelievably explosive athlete. You see somebody like that for, I mean, even even one game, he's going to catch your attention. And if he does well in, in a few games, yeah, you're probably going to turn him in pretty high. But if you see Devin Travis somebody like that or, or, you know, a guy like Matt Carpenter when he was in the minor leagues. Uh, these are guys who I think you have to see a lot, see play in a, on a regular basis, day in, day out, uh, to really appreciate the kind of ability that he has, the kind of plate coverage uh, that he has and, and the ability to hit that he has and, and control the strike zone and, and do all the things that he does at the plate that, that will project at the major league level and, and projecting hitting is, is extremely challenging. But I, I think just the scouting, the general pro scouting process of going in and, and seeing these guys for, you know, a series at a time and then moving on and, and seeing other, 
other affiliates, maybe checking back in, uh, you know, one or two other times throughout the year, uh, it's not conducive to being able to uh, get the best possible read on a player like Travis, who isn't going to do anything that that jumps out at you immediately. You know, the teams that actually should have a little bit of heads up on that teams who have, who have opposing teams in the same leagues as a guy like Devin Travis, you should get a better feel if you're playing him on a regular basis. That's where you, you kind of have to count on the managers that your managers reports are pretty good as well. And Hey, again, credit to the blue Jays. (laughs) They landed him uh, in a trade. And they are, you know, the Blue Jays have a, an Eastern League affiliate. I mean, it's, you know, sometimes, you know, managers do go in and, and write up players. I don't know how much. And an uh, FSL affiliate, too. Yeah, so they... they and a Midwest sure. League affiliate. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I'm sure they've seen him, uh, you know, punish them plenty enough over over the years. And, and some teams, you know, managers do, like we said, they go in and, and they write up the opposing players that they see. So, you know, some teams listen to it more. Some teams... Uh, you know, don't don't treat those, uh, you know, don't treat those opinions, uh, you know, with a lot of in- those opinions don't influence much. But uh, for certain organizations. But, yeah, you're right. I think if you if you see a guy on a regular basis like that, it, it can certainly uh, be an important part of the evaluation when it comes time to make a decision on a on a trade like that. Well, again, you, you, we don't see him doing what he did here. And but this first month of the season pretty much guarantees that he now has a regular job for probably most of the season at this point. Uh, again, you know, you can't fall apart, but what do you see long-term? I will kind of wrap it up with what do you think long-term Devin Travis ends up being as a big leaguer? Yeah, I think the name we used in the in the report when he was the Tigers' number one prospect, which I believe was the same day they traded him to the Blue Jays, uh, was, was Josh Harrison, just another guy who – you know, I don't think Travis is going to move around the field like like Josh Harrison has with the Pirates, but you know, just another guy who's not very big, but has you know is is strong and can put a charge on the ball and has, has always been able to hit with the with a good idea of of what he's doing at the plate. Waits for a, a good pitch to hit uh, and and controls the strike zone. Has has good back control. Uh, somebody who's who's going to hit a lot for for a little guy and. You know, it's it's not above average raw power, but it's uh, you know it, it might be you know it's it's playing as, as better than fringe average power right now. I think you're you're looking at a guy who could be you know ten to to fifteen home runs, who's you know a potential three hundred hitter with the you know the pretty good on base percentage. You put that with with solid defense at a, a middle of the diamond position. You know, it's a that's an above average player. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see kind of. When we look back at this years from now, it's okay. Was that completely over his head, or was it a sign of of not what he's going to be? Because again, he's not going to be a, a thousand OPS guy. Right. Who is? But is it a sign of oh, okay, that he went off to a fast start and it was just a fast start in a very, very, very productive career? But we're going to wrap this up. I've got to go to a draft meeting, and I know Ben, you've got more July two calls to make. But we do appreciate the download, and we, you know, we're going to try to do this the the Ben and JJ show on a hopefully relatively reason, uh, regular basis. Ben now has a, uh, a quality mic of his own up in the, uh, the Boston office of BA. And so we're pretty excited about that. So uh, Ben, you know, anything else that you want to touch on before we wrap this up? Uh, no, I mean, it was, uh, it was good to, it, it's been an exciting rookie class. We should, 
think we should get into that on the the next podcast. I mean, obviously with you know Devin Travis, what what he's doing with the. <laughs> I mean, we could talk about all the guys on on the Cubs. Chris and, Bryant is uh, posting uh, Bonzian numbers without a home run yet. That's yeah, uh, pretty I mean, hard to do. Jock Peterson. Uh, <laughs> there, there's so many good rookies this year. And and when you have guys like Correa and Seager and Buxton, who you have pretty much all the top prospects in the minor leagues right now, who are who are doing so well. I mean, it's just and so great to have. Too. Yeah, at the upper levels, it's just so great to have, especially Correa and Buxton hitting walk off, uh, you know, double and home run in, in the same night. Uh, it's just so good to have those guys back and and healthy. It's uh, it's fun to see these guys who are gonna, you know, potentially. Uh, you know, keep uh, keep that young talent pipeline coming up to the big leagues. It is going to be fun to watch. But so for Ben Badler, I'm JJ Cooper. We thank you for a download here of the Prospect Handbook Podcast. We do want to also remind you, you got a lot of draft coverage coming up at BaseballAmerica.com. We also want to remind you all the books are now out. So if you go to BaseballAmerica.com slash store, you can purchase any and all of the 2015 books. We The most recent is, is we just got the Hall of Fame uh, book back. So if you want the updated Hall of Fame book with all the, the new additions, you can get that now at BaseballAmerica.com store. Thank you, everybody.